the future of pharmaceutical stocks and how much of their portfolio should they be allocating to pharma? See, I think in the nifty about 4% weightage is there for the pharma. But I think that the industry is in a cyclical upswing. So you could go a little higher in terms of weightage. But pharma is a industry where you need to be extremely selective. Hey guys, welcome to the 20th episode of the Indian Market Story. We're back to our stock market roots uh, with a returning guest, Mr. Deepan Mehta, here to talk about the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, a really interesting part of the Indian Market Story, something that's been a substantial wealth generator and a huge sort of export income as well, right? Yeah, that's right, Varun, but very few people understand it. <laughs> it's such a complicated industry with uh, such a long product names that you can barely pronounce it. And it's an industry which has, where India has an advantage and India has created a great deal of scale. And I would say after software, we are known from our, for our pharmaceutical exports and pharmaceutical products. So uh, it's a great uh, sector to discuss on these podcasts. And many, many investors would be having shares of pharmaceutical companies because Indian pharma companies have been around for a long, long time, for decades. Yeah. It's not like a new age business, like, you know, like software or retail or healthcare, you know, these are these businesses mm-hmm. have been around for decades. So many investors would be holding shares of pharma companies. At the same time, a lot of pharma companies have been great, great value creators. Mm-hmm. They've been multi-baggers until about five, six years ago or so. But uh, So I think it's a good topic to discuss. Uh, yeah. What are your thoughts here? No, absolutely. So my understanding of the pharma industry is that there's three or four giants. Um, Sun Pharma, uh, Cipla, Ranbaxy or maybe what used to be Ranbaxy that got much Sun Pharma. Yeah. Dr. Reddy's. Um, Dr. Reddy's. A few more. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of these have, uh, their roots lie in exporting generic pharmaceuticals to the US. Is that correct? Is that where, you know, the origin of the Indian pharma company started? See, actually, if you go back to the origin of the Indian pharma company, then from a shareholder's perspective, from a listed space perspective, it started with the MNCs. So mm-hmm. there was Glaxo, there was Pfizer, they still are. There was Abbott Laboratories, Novartis. I think these were the large um, pharmaceutical companies and multinational companies, which got listed because of FERA. They had to compulsory dilute the foreign holding. And that's how the journey of the listed pharmaceutical space started in India. And these companies were great value creators. The beauty of these companies to date is that they are very strong brands. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we keep talking about FMCG brands like mm-hmm. Surf and the Parachute Oil and uh, you know, Colgate and uh, Palmolive and stuff like that. But some of the products which are there of the MNC pharma companies, they may not be household names, but they have been like, uh, been around for a long time with a huge following by the doctors in prescribing them. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, Combi Flam, which we take very, mm-hmm. very regularly from time to time. Crocin for that matter. Yeah. <laughs> you know, all these, for, Vicks. All, Vicks, all, these, all of these are, are foreign brands, I mean, you know, so uh, the the story of the Indian pharma industry was started by the MNCs. When they got listed, they created a lot of value. Then the Indian pharma industry also came into existence. And there's a very important, uh, I would say, regulation, which the Indian government passed uh, many, many decades ago, 
whereby we did not accept product patents mm-hmm. but we accepted process patents right so there the process of making the entire molecule so the mnc's had a uh, patent mm-hmm. protection of the process but not of the end product right and that was, i think was a really a very wise move on the part of the indian government because that was the foundation of the entire pharma industry because what companies like cipla and dr reddies and ranbax at the point of time lupin sun what they did was they found the product the actual molecule which was uh, required by the indian uh, mm-hmm. market and they reverse engineered it to produce it from a different process mm-hmm. so they were completely compliant as far as indian laws were concerned so they actually mastered this art in india in the indian market and they started launching brands of the same products that the mncs had in india and started gaining market share mm-hmm. their products were fabulous there was no quality issue but the same whether it's a crocin or whether it is a, uh, i would say combi flam or any of the other uh, you know tablets or capsules they started manufacturing the same thing with a different brand name mm-hmm. and that's how they got extremely successful and now these companies and their brands which are home grown brands those also have become kind of you know very popular with the doctors process so the birth of the indian pharma industry was from there and it has created many many uh, very i would say very successful entrepreneurs over there no that's really interesting so why don't we dig into the unit economics and the business structure of the pharmaceutical space yes absolutely because i think that's maybe the first point you want to try and understand if you want to understand a business So could you maybe walk walk me through what the large cost structure and what the large revenue sources are for a typical pharma giant let's maybe take sun pharma as an example you know whether it's you know investment in plants uh, you know investments in materials um investments in r&d and you know export versus domestic market let's try and break this down in a really simplified way for people to try and understand Yeah, that's right. So let's go back to what I said just now. That the first the Indian pharmaceutical companies are manufacturing the same molecule, rebranding it within India, and then came the huge opportunity in US. So what was happening in America right from the nineteen nineties to two thousand fifteen is that many many large molecules they went off patent over there. Now USA has a product patent. and a process patent mm-hmm. so therefore unless the product patent and the process patent uh, actually unless the product patent is not over and done with you cannot market have a generic version of that pro- that molecule in the us mm-hmm. but i think there were so many discoveries in the 60s 70s 80s so when they came to the 20 mm-hmm. 2000 decade and the 2010 decade humongous number of molecules were going off patent mm-hmm. and the indians already had mastered the reverse engineering art of manufacturing those molecules so all they had to do was get their plants us fda approved easier said than done and then start exporting from india onto the us and the margin of profit was like 10x right <laughs> yeah so it was like a like a like a absolutely no uh, fabulous opportunity for indian companies that they had the running plants which were manufacturing the same generic molecule for the indian market they got those plants usfda approved which was great because they improved the manufacturing process and they started exporting it straight away to the wholesalers mm-hmm. in usa and they were making huge amount of profit now 
as and when more and more competition got into it obviously the prices went down the margins went down but the number of molecules going off patent kept on increasing mm-hmm. so while there was a, a i would say decline in prices on the existing molecules but new molecules kept on coming in and then indian pharmaceutical companies went up the value chain they started getting into injectables they started getting into some of the other more sophisticated pharmaceutical products biologics as well and that's how the entire pharma industry really flourished as to your cost the major cost for the pharma company of course after raw material and manufacturing cost is r&d now you may ask what is this r&d spent on it's not new molecules this r&d is spent on getting the approvals for the generic drugs going off patent in us and elsewhere in the world so that's the biggest cost for them mm-hmm. and the biggest risk factor and a cost for the indian pharma companies is keeping their plants us fda compliant right so what i'm understanding from what you're saying to me is that the us fda compliance was one of the major things that a company had to get right Absolutely, in yes. order to become and stay profitable Absolutely. and if i uh, if my research tells me well sun pharma was one of the better companies that had this process in this understanding of how to get a plant fda approved sun dr reddy's cipla lupin glenmark they all had mastered this art right to an extent wohart as well then a second line of pharma companies came like ipka laboratories um, like uh, there was kaplan point then there was um, i mean uh, glenmark i would say was a tier 2 company alembic chemicals and at least 15 other such second rung indian pharma companies looking at what the sun pharmas and the dupins and doctors are doing they also got into the act and started building us fda compliant plants and now i would say there are at least 25 30 solid indian companies which have huge exports to the us market and then of course once you crack the us market getting into rest of the world europe is fairly easy mm-hmm. so that's where we are there was orobindo also which another success story they focus purely on the export markets so i think each company that we we, we talk about had its own nuance and its own strategy so the mnc's only indian market branded mm-hmm. drugs then there were the indian companies which looked at the indian markets as well as exports to us and they built their plants accordingly and then depending upon the product profile they would either have 60 70% revenues coming from india 30 40 from abroad or vice versa but broadly as a thumb rule one third one third one third the top 3 4 companies in india one third india one third us one third yes of the world was the breakup of their revenues very interesting yeah. so now that we have an understanding of the industry um and we know it's worked well for the last what 20 25 years since Absolutely. the 90s effectively yeah, yeah. so what's been going wrong over the last few years yeah. that's one of the most important questions you asked for that what's been going wrong and i think the market took a while to understand what was going really going wrong and one thing i'll tell you having been in the stock market that managements do not really give you the right signals or the warnings that there's something fundamentally changing structurally changing in their industry maybe they don't know it which i don't believe but generally they don't guide the investor as well as they should so what has gone wrong so as, as i told you that a large portion of the revenues came from the us index market and uh, once a molecule went off patent and maybe 5 10 15 years ago there would be three or four players so competition was limited now what happens if a molecule goes off patent within 6 months time we've got 10 15 20 
people manufacturing the same molecule mm-hmm. because everybody is master the art of setting up a US FDA compliant plant getting the approval from US setting up the entire manufacturing and the supply chain and then having a kind of a relationship with the wholesalers over there so the competitive intensity increased drastically because more and more capacities came up secondly within us there was consolidation amongst the middlemen or the wholesalers mm-hmm. so they got more bargaining power over there and they played one against another and therefore we were seeing continuous erosion in the end product prices it would be ranging from 8% to 25% per annum means what was available 100 rupees became available 75 50 then 30 and now 5 or 10 so the margins actually got compressed but this is not new varun what used to happen is that this was a process it was happening but there were many new molecules which kept on coming and kept on coming and therefore the pharmaceutical companies could compensate for lower margins margins through more products but now even new molecules i mean there was a huge number of molecules going off patent but that number also has dwindled so now it's become a largely commoditized business mm-hmm. largely b2b business and therefore with the absence of new molecules coming in volumes also have suffered and therefore we are going to be in a situation last 3 4 5 years i would say that indian pharma companies uh, have not done as well we have seen stagnation in their profits many companies like lupin sun pharma they have gone in for large ticket acquisitions which have not worked out well for them even orobindo for that matter some of them they sold off others they are just still i mean trying to get get the economics right over there so that's what has gone wrong with indian pharma company and within the indian market the companies which focus largely on the indian pharma market they i think did well last 4 5 years or so mnc company has done really well because over here the the competitive intensity remained more or less the same so the real problem was the export markets for the indian pharma company and fortunately i think what we are seeing now is that last two three quarters the price erosion has certainly decreased a little bit okay because everything which gets commoditized then starts to have its own cycle as you know and you know you know about the cycles if you know more capacities come on stream so competitive competition increases then people find it's not uh, viable to manufacture so they switch to other products other markets so competitiveness comes down and that process is going on just now which is why we are getting uh, much better numbers from the likes of sun pharma cipla and uh, and doctor in the last three four quarters or so uh, so as as far as far as the whole industry is concerned but there are many other nuances also we can talk about so if i understanding what you're saying correctly because of the challenges in the export market pharma companies in india have suffered over the last 3 to 5 years but the last 3 to 5 years have also seen a major health event that's created a lot of long term tailwinds for pharmaceutical companies generally that's covid that's something you know we've all yeah, lived through yeah yeah so on one hand yes you know you have a lot of companies that aren't able to make molecules but india has been the vaccine hub of the world from what i understand are these companies not able to capture that or is that you know captured exclusively by a small set of companies like let's say serum institute of india so what's the future trajectory for these pharma companies so first of all i think we had a major health event the covid and uh, we india was amongst the largest manufacturers of vaccines but serum institute is not listed had it been listed i think the stock price would have skyrocketed and of course i think that uh, because of this particular uh, health uh, i would say catastrophe for lack of a better word 
the pharma industry did do well. Certain molecules did do very well in the US, but largely because many of the electives mm-hmm. surgeries were not taking place because many people just didn't go to doctors because of COVID for normal mm-hmm. illnesses. So that extent, there was some impact, negative impact as well on the Indian pharmaceutical companies. But in India, I think from what has happened post-COVID is the uh, realization of how important healthcare is, how important diagnostics is, how important it is to get the right medicine at the right price. And that, I think, is the long-term benefit which Indian pharmaceutical companies will get by supplying in the Indian markets per se. Let's maybe start talking about the specific companies that are doing really well, um, both in the foreign market and in the Indian market. And maybe we'll start out with, you know, again, the largest, the gorilla in the room, Sun Pharma, um, a company that's done really well, you know, in terms of getting their factories approved by US FDA. So would you like to maybe talk us through the history of Sun Pharma, both from a, you know, business perspective as well as a price perspective? I know you've been invested in them for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. I think and Dilip Sangvi, who is the promoter, founder of Sun Pharma, extremely low profile uh, entrepreneur and created great deal of wealth, very high ethical standards per se. And his journey started by manufacturing uh, branded generics for the Indian market. And they did some very interesting acquisitions early on. They bought Crossland Laboratories. And they bought two, three other smaller pharma companies. Uh, They bought some U.S. companies or pharma companies in in America as well. And then they had this Ranbaxy, which was a very big acquisition for themselves. And that did not really go well Mm -hmm. because Ranbaxy had many legacy problems. But nonetheless, I think because of Sun Pharma, what it is and its management quality, they were able to absorb it and get out of it. Now, Mr. Dilip Sangvi is a very, I would say, visionary. And he looks many years ahead. And his strategies at in the beginning are difficult to understand. Like when he started exporting to US, you couldn't understand what is exactly happening over there and what the potential is. But they were amongst the first to export generics to the US in a large scale. Then others followed. <clears throat> so the big mantra for Sun Pharma just now is specialty products. What specialty products? Yeah. So specialty products is actually branded non-generic products in the U.S. market. Okay, so like proper branded patented pharmaceuticals. Yes, yes. So they are actually getting into the turf of a U.S. pharma company. Wow, okay. That's a dangerous place to be. Yeah, but they're not looking at big ticket products. They're looking at smaller products. Could be in skincare, eye care, you know, hair fall, stuff like that, you know, which, which are niche markets. Okay, some of the brands they've acquired, some of the brands have developed themselves. They've got some amount of patent protection, not completely. And they're trying to grow those specialty products business through feet on the ground, through uh, better communication to the doctors, trying to find alternative uh, uses of the same product. And it's a whole host of, it's a very long-term strategy. But what it protects is that eventually once you've got that product in place, you've got it branded, you've got that follower following from the doctors, then it can scale up really well. And at least you have got the pricing power over there. Mm -hmm. So the margins are higher once the R&D costs are over and done with. 
So Sun Pharma is gradually trying to increase its percentage of revenue from the specialty products right now, I think 15, 20% or so, but it'll keep on going up. So then they crack US and they go to Europe, rest of the world with the same product. So that is their strategy. Focus on India. India is like a cash cow for Indian pharma companies. They just keep on launching, launching new products and mm-hmm. uh, it generates the cash flow. But the growth comes from, as I said, Sun Pharma, from specialty products, and before that, from US uh, uh, generic exports. From what you described to me so far, it seems like they started out at the bottom end of the value chain, providing generics for the Indian market, and they've moved a layer up. Yeah, you said it really well. Let's go on now. Yeah, they moved a layer up and they provide generics for the US market, and now they're trying to provide. Um, patented, developed solutions for the U.S. market. So they're Absolutely. moving up and up the value chain. Absolutely. You can imagine that if they're successful at it, three, five years from now, 60, 70% revenues come from specialty products. Can you imagine what value they will create? Yeah, that, then they'll be worth like a full-scale American pharma company. Global pharma company. Global pharma yeah. company, yeah. yeah. That'd be very interesting to see if it works out. So hopefully our viewers can see a full financial profile as long as a little, as well as a little bit of the price performance of Sun Pharma on their screen. Um, but where do you think, I mean, initial science, do you think the strategy is working out? What's your opinion on where this stock's going to go in the next three to five years? First, a uh, disclosure, I mean, as usual, and this is not a recommendation, but these are great companies to have in your portfolio because what they're attempting to do, if they're successful at it, even... I would say 60-70% successful, they will still create a lot of value. They will have a lot of predictability in their earnings. See, as investors, we like the predictability of earnings. Don't you think so? I mean, you want a company which keeps on generating profits year after year, 15-20% higher. We want such companies. Yeah. So Sun Pharma could be, you know, one of those classic companies, which if they get the specialty product right, then they can keep on growing gradually. And, uh, you know, it's a learning process. They got maybe a handful, five, six products, but they can go to 30, 40 products and what happens? So that is one thing about Sun Pharma, which I really appreciate, the differentiated strategy. Yeah. So let's maybe move on from Sun Pharma. I think we understand, you know, what kind of a play this is on the Indian pharma space. Um, I think Cipla is the second biggest company, if I'm not mistaken. Is Cipla also following the same strategy of moving up the value chain? See, I think looking at Sun Pharma and the writing was clearly on the wall three years ago, four years ago, <clears> that <throat> the typical generics exports are not going to work out. So Cipla, Dr. Reddy, Lupin, they all had strategies to move up the value chain. So one of the first things that companies did is they went into injectables. Uh, Cipla went into a lot of the product which go for, um, I would say, pumps, and, um, you know, for, um, what is it called? Any breathing-related issues, asthma-related drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, so they went in, into that direction. Lupin acquired a company which was very strong in injectables. Dr. Eddie's also tried to focus on niche products, high-value products, difficult-to-manufacture products. So all of these companies actually try to do the same thing, but nothing, no one has gone to the scale and the depth at which Sun Pharma has gone. Mm-hmm. And because of uh, the way the pricing has happened in the US generics market, the likes of Dr. Eddie, Sun, Dupin, they certainly the prices have stagnated. It's only now that because we have seen little less intensity and prices going up, that the performance has improved. 
but uh, Varun, I wouldn't bet too much on the likes of Dr. Eddy uh, and uh, Jupin and Torrent and Zydus Cadilla. They are not in the same league as Sun Pharma. Yeah, if um, if I understand the pharma business um, particularly well, and I don't claim to, um, moving up and up and up the value chain requires a more intense R and D expenditure. That's right. You got it. R and D. And that requires a lot of perseverance. You see, you run a business, you want your shareholders that cast, they want instant returns. So yeah. how do you manage the expectations and still invest in R&D? And isn't R&D a big risk factor? Yeah, yeah. And that's why you need scale to absorb those losses and persevere yeah. with that high degree of investment. So it seems like farmer is very much going to become a winner-take-all strategy. It could be, yes. And what will happen over time, Navarun, is that because the entire business is getting commoditized, as we discussed, the street will not pay a higher price to earnings multiple. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we are talking about the companies, but let's talk from the investor's perspective that if because the price, end product price are going to fluctuate and there's going to be competition and plants starting and closing, and if there's going to be earnings volatility, then I'm not going to pay the same price to earnings multiple. I think we're trying to show maybe a comparison of the price to earnings of your um, Sun Pharma, Sipla, Torrent, Aurobindo. Um, any any others you'd recommend? Mm, Zydus, Carilla. Zydus. So we'll try and maybe show this to our viewers so they can see exactly what we're talking about when we say that this street is not giving these companies a high price to earnings multiple because there's no stability in their earnings and there's no expectation of those high margins. Um, but let me put it in context for them. See, when you look at the price to earnings multiple of these companies, it'll be around that 20 to 30 times or so. Okay. But put in perspective that good Indian companies are also trading at those levels. And if you go back 5-10 years ago, pharma stocks were trading at 30-40% premium price to earnings multiple. Got it. So on an absolute basis, you may find that boss, it's not that expensive mm -hmm. or it's not that cheap. But when you look at from the point of view that where it was. what a premium they were trading at earlier, now they are more or less in line with the Sensex and Nifty uh, equivalent type of business model. So, and also there's a lot of volatility in there. Like Dr. Eddy's now, they had a super molecule last two quarters. So their profits have zoomed up. Mm -hmm. But then the profits will start to come off once that molecule, you know, mm -hmm. gets more and more competition in it. So mm -hmm. that's the kind of volatility in earnings, you know, which as investors, you know, we don't really like. Mm -hmm. uh, but it'll be evident, I mean, you know, as time goes by. So that's as far as, you know, these larger companies uh, per se are concerned. So I have a, I have a question, right? We've discussed these larger companies that, you know, reverse engineer molecules, export them. Now they're moving up the value chain. But there are companies in this space that started at the top of the value chain or are trying to do something different. And two names come to mind that I want to hear your thoughts on. Um, First is Biocon and the other is Mankind. And I think Mankind is a recent IPO that received a lot of attention. And Biocon is, uh, you know, a bellwether of the Indian pharma sector. But I want to hear your thoughts on both these companies. And if I may add, I want to talk about DV's Laboratories also. Another massive value creator amongst the best. After Sun Pharma, the second company which has created maximum value, I think, is DV's Laboratories. So let's go step by step. 
let's talk about Biocon. So Biocon also had a slightly differentiated business model and they focused on biologics. And to an extent, uh, they use the fermentation technology to manufacture certain molecules, okay, uh, which are difficult to manufacture. And because they captured the entire manufacturing value chain, the margins were also higher. And they had a tough time getting those molecules uh, approved by the US FDA. And now that it has got done, they are really seeing the benefits of it. I think quarter after quarter, they're reporting better and better earnings. Of course, they, again, there's some volatility. I think once again, we'll earnings. try and show uh, a snapshot of Biocon's financials on the screen, yeah. uh, just to highlight the point you're making about their consistent revenue growth. Yeah, and volatility to come that comes with it, but on an upward trajectory, I would say, per se. So that's what's happening with Biocon. But unfortunately, what uh, the management is trying to do is they're trying to make Biocon into a holding company. So the best business of Biocon is Biocon Biologics, right? That they want to try and do an IPO or they're trying to get minority investors over there. So eventually, as shareholder of Biocon, we may not get the best deal possible over here. Mm-hmm. Uh, from that point of view, I'm not that optimistic on Biocon purely because it's getting turned into a holding company. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second company you asked about is Mankind. Okay. Uh, Mankind is a very unique company. And unlike the likes of Sipla, Dr. Eddie's, and typical Indian pharma company, they focus on the Indian market. And not only the tier one, but more so in the tier two, tier three towns in, of India, where they try to build their brand through solid marketing mm-hmm. with the doctors in that area. And they would produce brands which were cheaper than what was there by the larger companies and very aggressive marketing. Again, solid investment in brand building. And they brought some very innovative products in feminine healthcare and uh, different categories they tried to open up. Mm-hmm. And their track record has been phenomenal. And I would say that as of now, because it is perceived to be like a total consumer-oriented company, its valuation also is premium, super premium. Mm-hmm. And hopefully we'll try and put uh, a snapshot of Mankind's um, financials on the screen as well as you know some of their PEs and returns because I think it should highlight the point you're speaking about of a super premium multiple because it's an India-focused, consumables healthcare company. That's right. And uh, that's the company which I'm really watching. Because that's the way to go in India. See, now in India, we are a population of 1.3 billion. And we are seeing the rising wealth effect. And if one expenditure which is going to consistently go up is expenditure on healthcare. Yeah. And if you have strong brands, more and more doctors prescribe it, more and more awareness of healthcare, then companies focusing on India who have very strong you know, medical rep network, who've got a strong standing with the doctors, they are going to do exceedingly well going ahead. It's really worth pointing out and noticing that India has a substantial underlying health problem where the rise of sedentary lifestyle diseases like yes, heart diseases, absolutely. diabetes, um, and even cancers are very much on the rise because it's unfortunate but true that only in the last 30 years have people had sufficient disposable income to buy uh, a lot of garbage that they've put into their body (laughs) yeah absolutely right so it's all these pizzas and all the smoking and drinking and all 
that's going to i mean of course too bad for the for the person but it's I, it's positive for the pharmaceutical industry unfortunately and that's another thing i think you know company like sun pharma uh, to an extent mankind they focused on these acute therapies you know diabetes uh, blood pressure medication neurological diseases you know like uh, alzheimer's and parkinson because then once you have that disease then you have to take the tablet for life yeah and once you got the brand right then you won't change the brand also so yeah it's like almost you're hooked on to it first yeah so let's talk about dvs laboratories which is the third company you mentioned as something yeah. you're looking out for so dvs laboratories are a very interesting business model and you know we started this podcast by saying that it's a industry where india has an advantage why india has an advantage because we got low cost of technical manpower right that's a big and of course local market so dvs laboratories uh, i would say executed brilliantly in terms of supplying small quantity of product to the us market which then used it for testing purposes like for example before you launch a molecule you have to actually make the molecule and do the testing for it right mm-hmm. so that's where like, they would outsource that actual manufacturing of that molecule to an indian company like dvs laboratories oh interesting yeah. it's called contract manufacturing okay where the us company wants certain quantity to be manufactured and they identify a company like dvs laboratories who they trust implicitly mm-hmm. and there are a whole host of nda agreements to ensure that their of course formula is not stolen by anybody else and of course the dv laboratories plants also be completely us fda approved so they would make smaller quantities many molecules and export that to us innovator companies right so they started uh, supplying smaller quantities to innovator companies in the us and um, that's a high margin business also requires a high degree of uh, i would say chemical and technological strength a lot of investment in plant and machinery as well not to mention great relationships with the innovator companies yeah because they have to trust you trust you with their formula uh, but it's a great business and very few people have been able to actually crack it but dvs laboratories did it and the results have been phenomenal Uh, they've been consistently growing at 15-20% for the last several decades or so. So, for investors, where should pharmaceutical stocks fit in their portfolio? What is the future of pharmaceutical stocks and how much of their portfolio should they be allocating to pharma? See, I think in the nifty about 4% weightage is there for the pharma. But I think that the industry is in a cyclical upswing. So, you could go a little higher in terms of weightage. but pharma is a industry where you need to be extremely selective and we started by saying there's a difficult industry to understand as well so i would say that if you're a novice investor go with the pharma funds you get a basket of pharma companies in a single unit but apart from that look for companies which have a differentiated business model and he spoke about them mm-hmm. right he spoke about sun pharma dvs laboratories um, mankind, mankind pharma yeah so i think those are the companies with a differentiated business model that uh, one should look for all right very interesting um hopefully our investors take your advice on board and uh, 
in corporate farmers for their portfolio absolutely and one last thing i would like to uh, mention over here is that we both are very positive on healthcare spends but and we spoke about pharma in this podcast but from an investor's perspective a very large segment which is coming very much alive to invest on this particular investment theme is hospitals and diagnostics as well right so maybe just an idea for you to think about it for your next podcast yeah that's something we'll uh, we'll cover soon but uh, in any case thank you so much for joining us once again always thank you so much for sharing your thoughts um and hopefully you know it, it adds some value to investors portfolios this podcast is produced by elixir equities private limited a savvy registered research analyst registration number ina0000 4787 the information provided in this podcast is for educational and information purposes only and should not be considered as investment advice investment in securities market are subject to market risk we strongly advise all investors to read all related documents carefully before investing